Hey, Radius fam, and welcome back to the Radius Story on Radius Conversations. We are on episode three as we continue. Uh, If you're new to Radius, if you're looking to be a partner at Radius, or if you've just been here for years on end, this is for you to receive a, a little background on who we are, what we're passionate about, and just to celebrate how the Lord has worked through us, through you, uh, and in our radius over the years. I'm JT Reeves, and I'll be your host as we are joined by two incredibly special guests. Uh, first to my left is Brian Kirkland. And hey, guys. To my right is Todd Carnes. I'm going to set the timer and give you each one minute to introduce yourselves and maybe list all of your greatest accomplishments, and then we'll go from there. Brian, start Okay, yeah. Uh, Brian, name is Brian Kirkland. Wife is Tricia. Got two kids, Lucia and Silas, and uh, we live downtown Columbia, and I'm on staff with the church, uh, pastor of HR, culture, development, (laughs) uh, and fun. Yeah, and all other things as a sign. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. my my name's Todd Carnes. My greatest accomplishment is marrying the lovely Carrie Carnes. Mm-hmm. Produced three daughters: Lena, Amanda, and Christy. And I'm here because I was a lead pastor here for a seven year stroke uh, back '08 to '15. Hmm. Also, Brian, you forgot to mention that you were a two time baseball state champion. Which How is, could I forget? We were back-to-back. Okay, back-to-back, 1992-1993, my junior and senior years, we won the 3A state championship, Lugoff Elgin Demons. Go Demons. I normally don't say Go Demons, uh, particularly on a church podcast, yeah. but in the sports context, Perfect. I'll say Go Demons. There you go. Yeah. So, Brian, funny thing was that um, as you enter this picture, and we mm-hmm. finished off last time with Dad and Chris Seabee where um, – Radius Church goes into this transition period, and the Reeves took take off and move. Talk to us about that transition for you, for the elders, and then Todd, talk to us about some of the ways God brought you into the picture. Yeah, okay, so uh, so I got a call from John and Cheryl. Well, I'll, I'll take you back just a smidge further. So Trisha and I got to know the, the Reeves crew in college. Uh, Trisha and I were at Clemson. And uh, we started dating kind of late in college. Trisha was going to a church called Downtown Community Fellowship, DCF, which John had started. Uh, she was going there. I was interested in her, so I started going there. And, uh, and it just kind of got to know the Reeves crew from there. Uh, we got married, moved to Atlanta, and shortly thereafter, the Reeves crew ended up moving that direction, and we worked together to plant a church in Marietta, Georgia, uh, was the one that we were a part of. Uh, the Reeves crew actually planted two there. And then I uh, uh, felt the Lord nudging me towards learning more about the Bible. So I ended up going up to Chicago to a school called Wheaton to their grad school and studied some Bible. And uh, then while I was there, I uh, got a call from JT, your dad. And mm-hmm. he was like, hey, we're doing this thing in Columbia. and We want you to come down and be a part of it. We're like, yeah, you bet. Let us finish up our adoption. Uh, and uh, we were adopting our, our oldest, Lucia, at that time. I was like, once we get that done, we'll, we'll head on down there. So uh, we get down there, and then as soon as we move down, uh, John says, well, we're, me and Cheryl, we're, we're going to move to, to Greenville. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> like, oh, so, uh, so that's the context. Uh, long story short, uh, uh, it, 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 mixed feelings, honestly, mixed feelings. Super happy because uh, the, the ethos of, of, of all of us is definitely kind of a going and ascending, but it hurts too. Like it really, it's a gut punch too because you love people and you want to get to know them and, uh, and you enjoy people. So, so leaving's good, but leaving's hard. 
So that was, we had mixed feelings. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so right at that time I had, uh, Carrie and I, we spent three years in Russia in the late nineties. We came here, we were a minister of missions and actually tried to return. I uh, wanted to go to Kazakhstan in 05, kind of felt like uh, there was a call there, but we'd actually been kicked out of Russia in 2000 by the uh, illustrious Vladimir Putin. And so, uh, so when we tried to go to Kazakhstan in 05, we were blocked. Our visas were blocked. We were blacklisted. It's kind of this crazy time in life, very disappointing and a little confusing. And so I came, I was, I was serving at another church. I began to speak some and, and, and I started keeping this file and I called it unsolicited wisdom. It was like people speaking into my life in the church, uh, that, that I didn't solicit just coming up to me and, and they were saying things like, I, I think you should pursue the pastorate. I think you should find a place to speak. And and I can see you leading. Uh, one lady actually had a dream about me leading a church. And so I was just, I'm a young guy. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, I really figured out that that I definitely wanted to plant a church. And uh, started talking to some guys. Somebody pointed me to John Reeves. We, we met at Atlanta Bread Company. I can still remember it. I have a crazy memory that way. We sat at one of those round tables and we didn't know each other. We just started having a conversation and hit it off right away uh, and started talking about what, you know, the church should look like. We're basically the same age, and we, we were running down the same path, had the same ideas, and uh, it started going down the road. And so I visited Radius a time or two. I was going to uh, plant a church. I actually uh, had branded it, called it The Point, had a guy who's building us a website and kind of a core team and and excited about doing this thing, looked at Pleasant Hill Middle. They had a place to meet. One day I'm talking to John, and, and we started meeting at, at that time. We just have lunch uh, every couple of weeks and walking through this scenario, and I was getting ready to resign from my position, and and John just said, hey, listen, like when you resign, what I, want, what I would uh, offer to you is why don't you just come to Radius, just bring your family, you guys just come, just hang out with us for a little while. Because we have a lot of people in Radius who are really excited about reaching Lexington. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at that time. He was like, you know, I'm I'm a little more downtown oriented, and and you come and hang out for a little while, and then several months down the road, uh, some of our families will join you, and mm-hmm. we'll send you some of our people who can really help you do this thing in Lexington. Uh, we'll provide you, you know, some support if we can. And we'll help you do this thing in Lexington because we really want to reach Lexington, and I, I think you're positioned to do it. Hmm. And it was the most. Up until that point, I, I really wasn't going to join Radius. Like I was going to plant the point, but that was the most generous, open-handed, kind of uh, God-postured thing that I had ever seen in the church. Because I had other people telling me, "Don't plant in Lexington. You know, we don't want the competition." Hmm. And, and so, when when he did that, it was like, okay, I'm. I'm going to pursue this, and and I kind of stepped in. We started going down that road, and mind you, at that time, I mean, Radius, Brian could tell you, I mean, Radius was was uh, really cash poor. Uh, they had they had a lot of passion, but they were <laughs> a lot really, of zeal. They were really cash ideas. poor, and yeah. about and about a hundred folks. And he's sitting there going, "Hey, man, we'll you know we'll send you some of our best folks and all the money we can scrape up," uh, which was a great faith move, and it was so attractive. I jumped in, and we started going down the mm-hmm. road. So you go from there, and you start at Radius and meet in Midway Elementary School for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Andy Idola says 300 Sundays later, thought it was going to be <laughs> three, maybe 10. 
and 300 Sundays later, you get out of that elementary school and grab this beautiful, big, boxy X Piggly Wiggly slash Ace Hardware. Um, BK, start us out as we talk a little bit about the philosophy behind buildings here. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it last week and um, going through it this week, and then Todd takes from there and just tells us the story of how God put this particular building in, in our hands. Yeah, so uh, I guess philosophically, if you were to say, BK, what's what's the radius philosophy of real estate? Uh, we would start off with this, and we would say the church is not a building. That, that's a good place to start. In some ways, in our younger years, in our idealism, uh, we almost made that uh, like a, like a, we're almost arrogant in that mm. in, in, in some respects. Uh, we'd say we kind of took a little too much pride in that, that we, hey, we're we don't need a building to do this. I wouldn't you say know. almost. I'd say definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me so, included. So, 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 so the reality is this. Uh, so, uh, of course, the church is not a building. Sacred space is where uh, is wherever Jesus dwells, and so uh, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so, when His believers gather, then then that's sacred space. So, no, the church is not a building, um, but it, when when people gather, they got to have a place to meet, right? And unless you're, uh, unless you're under persecution, then you're going to want to put a sign out and, and, mm-hmm. and call people towards it and, and, and gather folks that way. So uh, I, I, could, I could wax on and on about uh, uh, the, the uses of buildings and the right ways to do that and how to bless the town in the process, how to use it not just on a Sunday morning, but how do you utilize it for the good of the city mm-hmm. and, and really have high utilization rates and things like that. But I guess the philosophy of buildings, uh, long story short, is no, the church is not a building. Uh, but uh, if, if you look at our history, uh, buildings are actually uh, pretty, pretty. the Lord's used real estate in some pretty tremendous ways to accomplish His purposes. Mm-hmm. So we're not anti-building anymore. Right. Yeah. right. We grew up a little bit. That's right. And uh, we're arrogant over other things, but we're humble in that one right there. So, so yeah, we, we, we came in, and certainly I was not looking for a building. I was looking for a church. I had some real ideals about the church. I wanted it to be uh, extravagantly generous. My time in Russia was really humbling, living amongst people who made less than $100 a month and Mm -hmm. believers who were sick because they didn't have enough protein in their diet. And then and then kind of when you come back home and you're designing a building and everybody's fighting about, you know, how many urinals you're going to put in the bathroom, like it'll just crush you mm-hmm. because it's like, well, we're going to spend another 10 grand on that, you know, and you, and, and you just, it's just crushing. And so I was working through all that and having some idealism, but I, I went to Radius and was excited to not be in a building. <clears throat> and yeah, we started there with one service uh, meeting in that lunchroom and, and it was fun. I'll never forget the first sermon I preached there. Uh, John was preached through Ten Commandments, told me to pick one, and I, I picked adultery uh, because uh, that happened in my household uh, where I grew up, and so I I had some real passion about it. And I just remember preaching that first sermon sitting. Uh, we didn't have a stage. I was down on the floor. We had like a little three-by-five pull-up screen or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was very pedestrian, the, you know, everything that was there, maybe a 120 people in the room, but I remember preaching that sermon. And, and strangely enough, that Sunday I preached that sermon, and and somebody called me that afternoon and, and invited me to to pursue a, a much larger, maybe more traditional church. And I was like, no, I can't, like I can't do that because I've got to have the freedom to get on the edges of talking about real life, hmm. which eventually after that we created uh, real life, real faith. Um, but in that whole scenario, we. we I was just having fun. We were, I was having a new level of freedom 
uh, in that lunchroom, we were having lots of, of life change stories. We went from one service to two services. I think we could fit, if I remember right, we could fit like 200 people in that lunchroom. Mm-hmm. So, so we're running two services. Um, uh, and eventually we, we start thinking, you know, we're, we're going to outgrow this. We're going to run three. What are we going to do? Uh, the economy crashed in 08. There were a lot of buildings out there. This huge one right here on Main Street was one of them. Me and Chris Seabee came and talked to the guy. He showed us a uh, an appraisal, if I remember right, for one point nine million. Mm. I think church was bringing in like two hundred fifty thousand at that time. Eighty <laughs> <laughs> like percent of it, you know, was going to pay for three or four staff members. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, but we started praying. We started seeking. I, I, I still remember when you had your box car. There was one day we had prayer and fasting, and me and you, if I remember right, we. We prayed either in this parking lot or somewhere downtown. Do you remember that? We were in your yep. in your car. And, I, and mm-hmm. I think we were praying and fasting about about finding a new place we were outgrowing. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I remember midday, me and Kirkland uh, praying over that. And the and, Honda Element. Yeah, yep. yeah. And, and the other great stories, I do have a friend who's a great man of God, grew up on the mission field, and he brought me down here one day. He really wanted us to have this building and put us in the parking lot and he kind of raised his hands like Moses right in the parking lot, right on Main Street, <laughs> praying for us to have this thing. He kind of, Joshua walked around it. It was kind of, I was a little embarrassed by it. He was like, get your hands up. <laughs> <laughs> so we put our hands up. We prayed. We didn't have $1.9 million, but a whole lot of stuff happened. At the end of the day, they auctioned it off. And uh, I think we I think we bought it for $615,000. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, it, and it revolutionized a lot in radius gave us a new space, a uh, new influence. And, and you can see from there, the amount of influence we had in this town just, uh, multiplied significantly. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a blessing. And so radius church almost doubled overnight when you go into that Easter service in 2011. Um, and when that happened, Brian, that's about the time in those next couple of years, you started leading the charge for a church of groups. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the reason for groups okay. and why you've always been so adamant about the need for a different kind of community than, than just Sunday mornings. Yeah. And uh, again, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of Sunday morning. A lot of people uh, say, well, that Sunday morning is not really where it's at. You know, it's really during the week. And I'm like, no, actually Sunday morning, you can make a lot of hay on Sunday morning. So I'm mm-hmm. not dissing Sunday morning at all. Actually, that's a key part of our <laughs> uh, discipleship uh, impetus. Yeah. Uh, so, can I can I jump in right there? Yeah, yeah I said a, something great not long ago. He said, "All the other things you do are catalyzed by Sunday morning." That's right. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have groups to make. You don't have generosity to do. It's all catalyzed mm-hmm. by Sunday morning. It's not the end all be all. That's right. But it's the catalyst. Mm-hmm. That's right. So so with that being said, um, uh, the the reason that I think groups are important, and and, and again, I, I would even just kind of expand that further and just say uh, biblical community is critical is because I don't need to tell you guys this life is hard life is really hard and the enemy is real so uh, we do have an enemy that wants to steal and to kill and destroy and and just like a a, a wolf pack is going to isolate their prey and they're going they're going to get that one little baby bison away from the the the, the rest of the herd and then they're going to pounce and they're going to eat it uh, when we get isolated, then we are really susceptible to the enemy to, to be ripped apart to shreds, not to, to be overly graphic, but that's that's the spiritual reality of what happens whenever you get isolated. So so we got to fight for community. We got to fight for spots where 
uh, we can encourage one another, where we can know each other, where we can be known, where we can put ourselves out there, where we can use our gifts. Uh, so, so groups, uh, I think they're biblical. Uh, I think you see it modeled in in many respects, and 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 I think they're they're compelling, and I think they're they're helpful. Hmm. And and again, they it's essential for survival. The idea of community is is so key. Not only there's BK talked about the protection side of it, but there's also, I would say, the power side of it. It's good. Is that as we get organized and stand together, we synergize a lot of gifts, a lot of passion, a lot of faith, because uh, you kind of have to believe together. I remember for this building mm-hmm. talking about believing together. Like we, I need your faith, you need mine, and and there's great power in that uh, as you know, the Bible talks about it all the time, the believers gathered together, and there was great power. There's not a lot of stories about just an individual hero, Herculean guy, just going and doing his deal. Hmm. That's great. That's good. And so as we as we discussed earlier with um, this kind of mantra that the church is not a building, mm-hmm. so Todd, you also spent years tackling this assumption that the guy on the stage is the priest. Um, and tell us a little bit about the year of the priest and some of the stuff that you kind of pushed, that Radius kind of pushed to to put this thing up, that we are all priests. Absolutely. <clears throat> we came into this building. We opened it on Easter. And, uh, it was and we accidentally ran the heat. Blazing hot, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, we had like five <laughs> units, and I think three of them were on AC, two of them were on heat. I mean, oh, it was we, we thought we were running the AC to cool it off, and we were running the heat. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. So obviously we were we were not very adept at buildings at that time. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, I think we put eight or 900 people in the building. Yeah, we, we had did. a great time, everybody. Yeah, you know, it's a sweaty fun Sweating. time. Yeah. But, uh, but I think right after that, I don't know the exact time frame, but right after that we did the year of the priest. We, we kind of settled in on a on a theme, and I would say that was kind of, I mean, we made more hay in that year than than any year that I can remember, and it was because we were pressing our value that everybody's a priest. We were breaking down this this hierarchy of, of pastor and layman that is so mm-hmm. ingrained in our Southern culture, and, and if that's the case, then, you know, the the pastor has more responsibility somehow than the layman. It's not true. We're all pastors. We're all priests. We're, we're all responsible for our radius. And so we did everything we could possibly imagine to really press that point home to the point I remember like in our generosity, which was a big deal, we would <clears throat> we would always say, you're your priest and your radius. If you find something that you believe in enough to give to, if you vetted it, if you'll give to it, we'll match it. If it's mm-hmm. 200 bucks, we'll give 200. If it's 2,000, we'll try to give 2,000. But you're the priest. You vet it. We're not. You're not going to hand that off to us for us to go vet as though we're we're more holy or or we have greater discernment. We don't have that kind of discernment in your radius. And uh, and so it it was a great year. The other thing we did is is I spent a year. I went and bought these uh, priest collars from uh, from Lifeway or somewhere like that. <laughs> and uh, I, I just had tons of these collars and just randomly on Sunday, sometimes I'd just walk in and I would see somebody and I would pull them up on stage for the first five minutes. Hmm. And I would talk about how this person is just being a great priest in their radius. And sometimes I, I remember pulling my daughter up. She was leading like a Bible study with her uh, volleyball team. Sometimes it was something very, I guess, traditional focused Bible like that. Other times it was... Uh, I pulled a guy up and said, hey, I s- this guy took his wife on a date Friday night. 
Mm-hmm. And they've been married 45 years, and he's still loving her well, and we should all aspire to that because he's being a great priest in his radius by by being a great priest in his home mm-hmm. and trying to trying to bring real uh, exaltation, bring real honor to people doing the, the day-to-day blocking and tackling of the spiritual life, um, being great priests. And it was, it was great. It was transformative. Yeah, and, and I, to that, and just to bring some color, I, the, the real pithy definition that Todd would say multiple times uh, a week uh, would be a priest is uh, someone who goes to God on behalf of people and who goes to people on behalf of God. Hmm. And, and and so when we use this language, year of the priest, and those really simple stories, that's that that's really, uh, people uh, began to really own that, began to really believe that. And it's, uh, again, it's it's very biblical. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about the priesthood of, of all believers. Uh, but it was, a like, I can remember conversation after conversation. You know, if somebody comes to us from more of a... Uh, more of a high church or a Episcopal or a Catholic background, and they see these collars, and they're like, "Well, what are you, what are you doing with these collars? And <laughs> yeah. why, why is that person wearing the collar?" And then we have an opportunity to uh, to teach. It was a real teachable moment for for the the better part of that year. Yeah, and, and just a lot. I think the priest who does stand on the stage and has the mic, if they are very intentional about empowering everybody that is there in that building, and just overemphasizing the fact that they really are a priest. Uh, they may not have been officially ordained by some kind of body, but they are a priest. And then they begin to believe it because you said it. And as they believe it, they begin to act it out. Mm-hmm. And then there's the old saying says, what gets rewarded gets done. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason I pulled all those priests up for little things to big things. Mm-hmm. That's good. So on to our fifth question okay. now. We'll take a little in between intermission kind of thing. Yep. And I just want to give you all time to walk through some of the best stories you all have from the 2008 to 2015 years and maybe some of the worst stories, if you can think of them off the top of your head. Okay. I'm, I'm going to, to jump in. One of my, again, this this kind of gets to the, the heart of who I am and my philosophy. My personal philosophy of ministry is to, to love people well, to love God uh, but don't take yourself too seriously, and and so uh, have some fun along the way. So I think about our family vacations uh, for uh, for about three years straight. What we would do as a church is we would kind of almost shut down Sunday. We didn't quite shut it down, but we pretty much did. <laughs> and, and we'd just go away. There'd be three hundred of us, and we'd rent a bunch of hotel rooms uh, down at Myrtle Beach, and we would play and we would sing karaoke and bingo and trivia. And and there was always like a special gift like that last night, and somebody would win an award, and it'd be like a picture. Like one was a cardboard Todd cut out of me. Yeah, yeah. Maloney got it. Yeah, I think he still got it. Ryan Maloney <laughs> still got his cardboard. Uh, there was a we, we made a Todd car and Snuggie. Yeah, yeah, I gave that to my daughter. That was great. Mad about it. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. there was a Todd Carnes pillowcase. Yeah, yeah. There was a theme there. There was a little thing. <laughs> <laughs> there was a Todd Carnes motivational poster uh, that said something to the effect of "often wrong but never in doubt." Perfect. And which, perfect. Uh, if you know yes. Todd Carnes, if you know TC, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, so family vacation, we just kind of cut it loose and uh, really enjoy each other's company, getting to know each other. Uh, you can, you know, we have these groups, and I'm actually a big proponent of groups, but. When you get people away for a weekend and like a chunk and like a big chunk and not like an hour chunk or an hour and a half chunk, if you get people away for like a 
three-day chunk, you can make a lot of hay relationally, uh, spiritually, uh, emotionally, all that kind of stuff. So family vacation was a highlight for me during those times. Some of my best memories were there. It was awesome. And um, Brian and CB, they're kind of ministers of fun. So uh, I just showed up for those things and had a great time because, like, I'm I'm not as good at fun as they are. But (laughs) but the cool thing is my oldest daughter uh, met her husband there. No How way! Cool is that? Yeah, wow. I didn't realize she first that. Met Blake, there. How about Blake, that? Blake saw her and he he, he asked his mom. He's like, "Who is that? And why haven't I met her?" <laughs> it took him like another seven years to okay. land her, but that was it. So, I got a little uh, piece of that story. Thanks though. for uh, thanks for family vacation. Got yeah, a great bet. son-in-law. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, that 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 was the fun part. We we had great community. We we just didn't. Uh, we didn't have a box we had to play in, so we could play outside the box in all kinds of ways. Uh, another cool thing we did is we were able to pull together the vast majority of the pastors here in a thing called Together for the City. Mm-hmm. And you have to put a lot of energy and effort. I actually met with one of them yesterday, and and, and it's not really going because somebody's got to put a lot of energy and effort into it, and we did for a season. It was so fun. We swapped pulpits. I went and spoke at a Lutheran church. I had a Lutheran guy come speak here. Uh, we... We printed T-shirts are all across the town just saying that another one of our great values, there's only one church in this town. Hmm. It's the church. We, mm-hmm. we meet in other little congregations and driving that home. Uh, there, there was multiple ways we found to kind of drive our values out there. Um, and just we, we had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers me bringing a paintball gun into the uh, into Sunday one time and walking out in the audience and and shooting back up towards the stage. I just trashed the stage. I had a great point. Andy's still mad about it, though, because all, over, the, the drum all <laughs> over everything. Yeah. But, you know, everybody all remembers it. Like, you know, all seven years kit. later, it's no big deal. Yeah. It's just keyboard. Uh, so we, uh, uh, we we pressed the envelopes on a lot of those things. But, you know, more importantly, we it wasn't just attractional and come and see. There was uh, there was a real press on on life change during that time. And it requires all those things. It requires some fun. It requires some pushing the envelope. It requires uh, deference to other churches and really believing in what's going on in the, in the town as a whole and not just in your congregation. Uh, so that was good. As far as embarrassing thing, I think my my mind probably blocks all those out. BK could probably tell me all the embarrassing things we did. Uh, not so great memories, but there, there's there's certainly some out there. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I don't remember any offhand. Oh, I remember cringing one time. In fact, that, that, this night I couldn't sleep. Uh, we, we had just done a baptism, which is this kind of cool story. Uh, we had baptized a bunch of people, and which is a good thing, right? The problem is our tub wasn't real big, and by the time we got to like person number twelve, we had uh, either through the, the the people's clothes or through the splashing, we had displaced all the water. <laughs> and I was the baptizer, and I got this one last person to baptize, and like the water's up to like barely over my ankles. And yeah. I'm thinking, how am I gonna get this person under this water? And uh, we went from immersion to sprinkling <laughs> on that day. It's like, hey, <laughs> so, of course, Chris Seavey was in charge of that, and he, and he brought yeah. us a cattle trough. I mean, that's kind of what we baptized in. It was a big that's cattle right. watering trough for a long time. Yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, I can remember trying to, to get uh, this one lady under the water, and I just couldn't quite get her low enough <laughs> to get under the water. And, uh, I, you know, you take somebody back, and you know, they can freak you out a little bit, you know. Yeah. So, and, and so, anyway. Not yeah. that night, I, I said, we got to get a new baptism. <laughs> yeah. we got to get something bigger here. Yeah. Chris Seabee and I both said some things from the stage that we'd really like to forget, and there's 
no way I will recount them here. <laughs> but, but I used to always, the Bible says in Proverbs, uh, where words are many, sin is near. And so if you've never said anything stupid, you hadn't talked a whole lot. Because when you talk a whole lot extemporaneously, stupid stuff comes out of the mouth. So uh, th- there was some fun with that. We had some fun after the fact. But yeah, I blocked all those from my memory. No, nothing else I would say. I, I would say that uh, that our ethos of generosity, like the good stories, was was really set uh, during this time. We, we talked about extravagant generosity was kind of the words that we used. And we, we did everything from buy trailers to birth, what's Give Hope Now, which just gave out $200,000 this year. And and we, we supported things at the town of Lexington uh, in the school district. Um, but again, the, the well, we also did a, we did the $100 giveaway. We, we gave everybody 100 bucks one Sunday and told them to invest it as priest and and just empowered people. Like that hundred dollars was so weighty on people too. Like they mm-hmm. they felt so much weight to handle it appropriately, mm-hmm. which was really great because it was uh, instructive for them to understand that. Hey, at that time, maybe we got a hundred thousand dollar benevolence budget. You know, like get up under that weight <laughs> and try to feel yeah. what it's like to to handle that appropriately because it's uh, it's not black and white. So th- th- those were those were the good things. Those were the great memories during that time. Mm-hmm. That's great. Eventually, though, come 2015, Todd, um, it becomes apparent that after all of these years, you are ready to go back into the marketplace. As you do that, you actually end up handing the baton back to John Reeves, which is crazy in and of itself. Um, and we'll get to that in later episodes, especially next episode. But for now, let's just talk about your decision to exit. Um, this is a very appropriate time to talk about exiting as Joe Pitts finishes up his work at Radius White Knoll and Michael Funderburk only just led his last Sunday at worship at Radius Lexington and Chris Seavey even earlier this year, all going not just to other churches, but to the marketplace. So um, this is kind of who Radius has been over the years. Talk to us about that thought process in in that sort of decision. Yeah, excellent. It, it's just the natural outworking of our fundamental theology that says we're all priests. And so if you really believe that, then you, you believe the fact that that we're all equivalent. We have different gifts, and, and we even have different callings, but calling's not for a lifetime. Uh, it can be, but it doesn't have to be, uh, because God can take your particular gifts and your capacities and use you in one place for a season— and then move you to another place. But traditionally, we think of calling in the sense of, you know, Moses, I went to the mountaintop at Mount Sinai, and I was called, and I'm there for life. I think that's possible, but quite frankly, I don't think it's normative. I think it's exceptional. I think what's maybe more normative is people are called to different things for different seasons, and you can, if you really believe, I'm just as much of a priest when I'm working at, Todd Realty Partners as I am when I'm the lead pastor at Radius Church. I'm just in a different radius. If you fundamentally believe that, which I do, then it makes sense that there would be flow in and out. And so uh, I will tell you, you know, coming in at at, uh, at Radius where we were at with uh, some great foundational people at, at, at 100 and then running the seven-year stroke and buying a building and planning a church and going through a lot uh, through seven years, 
it is kind of exhausting. (laughs) So I'm not a good rester. I'm a good runner. So uh, after our seven years, I kind of just felt like uh, I I was running out of passion. I wasn't running out of belief and no faith issues, but but I was running out of passion for the next thing. Mm -hmm. Because when when I first went to Radius, I, I was just thinking, like, if we ever just gather 250 people in a room, and we really fundamentally believe these things and we live them out, oh, that'd be awesome. And then we just ran, by by sheer favor, uh, we ran so far past that. Now we're like over a 1,000 people in the room and, a, and another plant over in White Knoll. And I just, I couldn't see the next thing. And so uh, so Brian was an elder at that time. I went to the elders and I said, listen, guys, like I I just can't see the next thing. And, and two people always stay too long in their jobs football coaches and pastors, <laughs> except for Nick Saban. Like, he's, he's all right. He can stay there forever. But but they always stay too long. They stay past their vision and their passion. And, like, I was hypersensitive to that. I did not want to do that because we had, by the grace of God, we'd built something great. And I was like, I, I just I just need to exit. So you guys give me, like, four months. Uh, I'll kind of run this thing out for four months, and then I'll, I'll go find the next thing because – because I feel like I've been coaching priests who've been in the marketplace for 20 years in their radius. Like, I want to go be one of those priests. I want to see if I can actually be an effective priest in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to understand what that's like again. I, I did it for two years right out of college. And so it was like a, it was like the next challenge for me. Like, you can be a priest here as a lead pastor at Radius. Can you be a priest if you're just Todd Carnes in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. And so I took that challenge and... God was incredibly gracious, put me in a great <clears throat> company, Southern Med Pediatrics, and, and I began to to live out that priesthood and figure out what that was like and try to do it effectively. And it's challenging. It's very challenging. So uh, so we, we've had flow of of people in and out. Brian was in IBM. I, I recruited him to from being an elder to coming on staff. And, and so I actually enjoy it when, when our people move around. And and actually become priest in different kinds of radiuses. Yeah, yeah. And the the phrase I remember hearing this as a young man, probably in my early twenties, um, is the, the secular becomes the spiritual when the focus is on the eternal. And and I think it gets to the heart of, of what Todd's talking about. This idea of priesthood of all believers, and that when we focus on the right things, when we focus on the eternal then all of a sudden what is deemed normally a, a more of a secular vocation like a plumber or a banker or something like that, uh, that begins to, to, to make real impact for a lifetime and beyond uh, for eternity. So, uh, so that's always stuck with me. And, and again, to Todd's point, uh, I, I came out of uh, – Todd, Todd recruited me to Radius. I was actually getting ready to, to take a gig with IBM overseas. And uh, I was going to move to Dubai for a few years. And and do some some HR efforts over there, and uh, and 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 I I still there's some things I really miss about the workplace. And whenever I meet with guys, I want to actually go to their office and see where they work, and see how they uh, interact. What's their office setup like? What's their day to day grind like? Because pastorally, that's a you know that's that's their world, right? For hmm. at least a third of their life, uh, yeah. or at least half their waking life is in the workplace. So, so again, I really do want to uh, to uh, 
to, to, to get to know those guys and, and, and shepherd them at that kind of level because, I again, this idea of vocation, this idea of calling, it's not just for, it's just not for the paid staffers. It's for all of us. Yeah. <clears throat> Martin Luther kind of set that up for us, you know, the, the whole Protestant idea of vocation and calling. It's everybody's called. And, and it's not that it's not with specificity like a lot of people like God tells you I'm, you're definitely going to start a business and mm-hmm. do this thing it's like he he just calls you forward and I've generally I'm, I'm a little bit of an anomaly I've changed careers like every six or seven years and, and done different things I would like to speak though just a little bit to the difference in leading in the marketplace mm-hmm. and leading in the church and and just grateful I got to do both of those like in the church uh, the thing I miss most about the church is is working side by side with people like BK and CB and, and John. I mean, it's just like, you're just, uh, it's like a David and Goliath every day because you're mm-hmm. pushing against a culture mm-hmm. that's, uh, that doesn't believe what you believe. And you're trying to, you're trying to stand for truth. You're trying to be a great priest, a great prophet. Uh, so much fun, but it's emotionally, it's taxing. It will, it will grind you out emotionally, uh, because you, you get compassion fatigue, uh, you hear about tragedy in people's lives, and and initially you cry, and it and it it breaks you down. But but compassion over time, you just kind of run out of compassion mm-hmm. uh, because you you've heard it so much, and you realize like I'm my heart's getting hard. Like I don't, it doesn't affect me anymore when people tell me great great tragedy because I don't I don't have enough emotion left to feel with them. And so we actually put in a sabbatical policy for that reason when I was here to got to rest people in compassion fatigue and so so that's a real danger on the ministry side and in the in the marketplace side what, what I've learned very quickly there is uh, after everybody took the collar off of me and quit you and me as the pastor raised after about a couple of years is is all your relationships become transactional hmm. like every time you sit down with somebody they want something from you and you want something from them and so it's it's very transactional in nature whereas when I was a pastor it was it was deeper when I sat down with people I was there wasn't that transactional nature. Mm-hmm. And so I realized how, how hard it is for people to develop relationships with folks that aren't transactional mm-hmm. in the marketplace. And that's the reason people thirst for that. It's the reason we have to create that, is to give them a spot where, where you can relate outside of, of business and commerce and relate at a soul level. That's good. That's good. And so Brian, as he exits leadership of, of Radius at that time, talk to us a little bit about elders and how they stepped up and, and how that was instituted at Radius. Yeah, so the concept of elders and a plurality uh, of, of elders, in other words, more than one person leading the charge. And, uh, and one, uh, we do believe there's some scriptural basis towards that. And whenever you look at how the Apostle Paul set up churches, he, he, he would travel around and he would set up elders at every church that he would plant. Uh, and then uh, then he'd go somewhere else and, and, and do the same thing and plant another church. So the idea of, of plurality, of, of a multiplicity of leaders uh, is, uh, I think, a very biblical thing. And it's healthy because it, it protects a little bit against the cult of personality. Um, uh, even the best of people, that the, the stage crowds can be intoxicating and so uh, having a, a room full of people uh, with a variety of gifts uh, that love each other and are comfortable in their own skin and can be ruthlessly honest with one another. Uh, you know, Lynn Kesey is very different than John Reeves. Um, Todd Carnes is very different than Chris Seabee or Brian Kirkland or, or, uh, uh, or Cleet Cordero. 
but whatever you put it all together, uh, we can wear on each other in the best of ways. Uh, and, and so I, I guess, you know, how, how it all went out at that time, I don't remember exactly how it played out. I don't remember being overly concerned. I remember being very foretied in, in all mm-hmm. this. One, as a, as a friend uh, and, and excited for him and as he daydreamed about what, what this could look like and what his faith could look like in the marketplace. Uh, uh, I, I remember uh, thinking, well, you know, the, the church has been around for a few thousand years, so so look, <laughs> it'll it, be we, all right. It, it's gonna be all right, uh, and, it, and, uh, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I, uh, so I slept fine, uh, and I think we did as an elder team. But I mean, we still had work to do because there's real people to shepherd, and leadership is stewardship, right? So we wanted to be good stewards of of our time then. So uh, I don't remember exactly how it played out. Uh, 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 but uh, I do know you've got somebody like a Lynn Kesey who's uh, super pastoral and feels the weight uh, whenever, whenever he is across the table from somebody and just loves people. Uh, you, you've got uh, people like a Toby Kirkland uh, in, in that process uh, who, uh, again, uh, exceptionally gifted and, and uh, from an administration and a strategy standpoint, uh, thinking about what does it look like to organize from a macro standpoint, uh, you got guys like me who are probably a little bit of a hybrid and a little bit. And so, and can I jump in on yeah. Toby? I just want to say, you know, uh, Toby passed away this past year. He was a great friend of all of ours. Uh, but he came to me like he he had uh, been a pastor before. He did what I did. He transitioned back in the marketplace, and and he was doing all kinds of stuff for us here at Radius all the way back to Midway. He came to me one day and said, you know, I think I I could be of real benefit on the strategy realm because he led a pretty big organization and stepped in to mm-hmm. uh, the elder room right at that time. And to a man, everybody said, you know, like he, he stepped in. He was the right man at the right place at the right time to go to our highest level of leadership during mm-hmm. this transition because mm-hmm. he knew what I was feeling because he had stepped out of the pastoral ministry in the marketplace, and he's very executively driven, and he, he really drove a lot of that to my understanding. I wasn't mm-hmm. in the room, and we were grateful. And, and there was another provision of God. and then That's right. And then there was a lot of, I don't know, there's like nine months of question marks, of ambiguity, of trying to figure out what the heck's going on. We, we'd invited the Reeves back, and John was leading White Knoll for us. We'd, we'd invited him back a while back, and then through a, a long line of, of praying, searching, seeking, thinking, um, at the end of the day, uh, John stepped back in. So it's the coolest story ever. Like, you know, John led Radius for four years, and he... He, he literally made a handoff to me. We did the thing together for six months, and then, and then he came back in to, to lead again. And out of all that, God's built a great friendship between me and John, between our wives. And nobody understands that, um, but you can't understand it unless you live it. You can't understand it unless you have a friend that's that, that open-handed and that much wants you to succeed in what you're doing. And so, uh, so I enjoyed the heck out of it. We we lunch every Friday and talk strategy, dream about the next thing. Hmm. And so we'll pick up there next week, but let's finish with one question while I have you both here. I think the thing I wanted to ask as we close is why is it important to know stories? Why is it important that we are sharing these stories right now? My, my thoughts on that are simply that People don't need to be educated. They need to be inspired. If people are going to do great things, it's because they're going to hear great stories 
of, of men and of simple, common men and women who had great faith, who had great people around them and attempted great things and often failed, but sometimes succeeded. And that's inspiring. Hmm. And so if people are inspired, they will go do great things. That's the reason we launched, you know, Jesse Harmon out of here to do run hard. And we, we launched, uh, Josh to do easy. Like we, we inspired people to do great things, and we did most of that through story. I used to tell, I used to preach sermon series about just great believers, and people get frustrated and they want me to exegete a, a chapter of text. Like, okay, so I do that sometimes, but but outside of that, I, I want us to grow and learn from great priests of the past, because the vast majority of my discipleship, probably up until I was in my forties, because I never really had that great mentor, was through reading the biographies of great men and women mm. and being deeply emotionally inspired by the things they accomplished through faith and favor. And so we're a storytelling organization. When I came to Radius, I learned to preach through my stories. And I was talking to one of our campus pastors recently, and don't don't apologize for stories because you're going to inspire people and and then they're going to be grounded in the biblical principles and go do great things. And so this is a great story that needs to be told, uh, one amongst millions. It's great. Yeah, yeah. In short, the stories are biblical and stories are compelling. Uh, if you just, again, look at the, the narrative of Scripture and you'll see that story is a big, big part of it. Uh, and, and so whenever you realize that the stories that you're reading that, that Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. Let's just praise the Lord. Uh, if you guys know that kid song, that, hey, this is, this is our part. This is part of our story. So whenever we read the scriptures, we recognize that uh, these stories that we read, this is, this is all part of our story as uh, sons and daughters uh, adopted into the family of God. So, uh, and that's inspiring because you, uh, you realize that uh, the same God that split the Red Sea loves you and is for you, and uh, and so again you can you can look back and see God's faithfulness in the past uh, through these storytelling, and then you can trust God in the future because of that. So it really does uh, inspire in you great hope. Uh, that's the compelling part, and uh, and so whenever you hear people give their testimonies, everybody's testimony is a little different, but everybody's testimony is generally the same too uh, in terms mm-hmm. of how the Lord works through the scriptures and hard times and wise counsel and the Holy Spirit. So I, I do think stories are biblical and I think stories are compelling. So we got to keep telling them. And, and uh, I'll just close up with during COVID time, I actually wrote my story, put it in a book um, because I, I was so discipled by the books of the past and I just wanted that to stick. And the coolest thing about writing uh, an entire story through a book is just even sharing it with my kids, they didn't know half the things in that book. Mm. Uh, but my story is inspiring to them and empowers them to to press forward and, and hopefully others. And in, and in that, I said, everybody should write their story. Mm-hmm. Everybody should put pen to paper and, and inspire others with things that happen in your life, the, mm-hmm. the victories and the failures. Uh, and the clinging for faith all the way through. It's good. Mm. And with that, we will conclude this episode. So thank you, Brian. Yeah, you bet. Enjoyed it. And thank you, Todd. Yep. For joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for being with us as well. 
Um, next week, we'll have Todd's better half, Carrie Carnes, on the set with Cheryl Reeves. Their stories are dynamic and really fun to listen to. We hope you can give it a listen as we push to continue to tell stories, confront culture, and speak truth. We love y'all.